Amen, amen. How we doing, church? Doing good? Good, you look great. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Uh, it's way towards the beginning of the Bible, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be there for the next five weeks or so. Uh, Pastor Stone did a great job kicking off this series last week with, called Greater Than. He did the whole book of Leviticus in one setting. Isn't that incredible? Uh, I'm not as good as him. I, it takes me five weeks to get through Numbers, uh, but, but here's what's crazy, awesome, is that we had over 60 people surrender their lives to the Lordship of Christ last weekend. And here's how we know that it's God who saves and not the preacher. We were studying Leviticus, you understand? And God saved all these people. So um, uh, he, he did an awesome job. And, and he told you a little bit, and Pastor Britt uh, alluded to it also, that the reason we're, we've called this greater than <clears throat> is that, that we're looking at the reality between Levit- Leviticus and Numbers is that God is greater than our emotion. God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our feelings. And maybe you've heard the rumor that I don't care about your feelings. It is true. I don't care about your feelings. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't care that you have feelings. I know that you have feelings. I have some feelings, too. And I, I would rather you be happy. Happy is better than sad. That's not a Bible verse. It's just true, all right? I'm pro, I, I hope you have good feelings. But feelings make a terrible God. They make a terrible God. Now, God has given you the gift of feelings and emotions so that you can navigate all the kind of things you have to deal with in life. But feelings make a terrible God. And that's what I mean when I don't care about your feelings. I want Jesus to be Lord of your life not your emotions, because they're going to change every time the sun goes up and down. If you don't believe me, then look at the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says this, the heart is deceitful. Now, you think I'm talking about like your roommate's heart. It's talking about your heart too, that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So you don't want a sick Savior, right? And so you don't want to follow after your heart. In fact, how many of you have ever gotten that that um, advice from a a friend. Just follow your heart. All right, they meant well, and it's the worst advice you could ever get. Some well-meaning parents, especially moms, tell their teenagers, just follow your heart. Oh, good Lord, don't tell a teenager to follow their heart. You know what? Here's what Jesus says about our heart in Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So you don't want to follow that. And you remember... In our Give Love a Try series, in 1 John 3, 20, it says this about our heart. For whenever our heart condemns us, in other words, whenever our emotions betray us or try to rule us, that God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So again, emotions are fine. They just make a terrible God. And what I actually wanted to call this whole series is why I don't care about your feelings. But our creative team and our communication team talked me into calling it greater than. And so that's what we're talking about. The reality is that God is greater than your emotion. And so the emotion that we're going to talk about this week is discontentment. Because let's just be honest, we might live in the most discontent generation in the history of humanity. But what we're going to find out before we beat ourselves up too much <clears throat> is that it is not unique that the, that the folks in the Bible in Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites, they're going to face some of the same kind of feelings that we face. So Numbers chapter 11 Beginning in verse 1 starts out this way. And the people complained, underline that word, complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And here's their misfortunes that they're complaining about. Um, you'll, you'll, maybe you know that Numbers is like the sequel to Exodus. And so if you back all the way back up to Exodus, that the God's chosen people were a slave nation in Egypt. They cry out to God, God, please free us, save us from the oppression of the Egyptian leaders. God hears their prayer. He sends Moses on a rescue mission. Moses, 
<laughs> Moses comes in and talks to the Pharaoh, let my people go. You've seen the movie. He goes to the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts. God frees the people, brings them into the wilderness, but at least they're free. Then they cry out to God, God, we're hungry, we don't have anything to eat, we did not pack or plan well. And so God brings manna, and so every morning they wake up and there's like cornflakes on the ground, and they scoop up the manna or the cornflake kind of deal, and they eat it every morning. And so, after a few years, they're kind of getting tired of it, they're discontent, they're getting over it, and they complain <clears throat> in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Now, this doesn't mean like the tents and stuff, this means the people. Like, you would be in the camp, like, why'd Ted catch on fire? Because he was complaining about the manna, and he'd catch on fire. Now, we're in the New Covenant, doesn't that work that way anymore, much to my chagrin, okay? So, verse 2, and the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. And so the name of that place was called Teborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now, the rabble that was among them <coughs> had a strong craving, underline that, strong craving. Because here's what's the reality about people that lived a long time ago and people that live today, is that left alone... We are all just a bundle of appetites that can never be fully and finally satisfied. That we are. We're a big bundle of appetites that can never be fully and finally satisfied. Don't believe me? See Thanksgiving. You tried to fill your appetite until it was done. You almost exploded. You didn't. And then you got hungry again. Never fully and finally satisfied. Now, appetites are not a bad thing. Appetites are a gift from God twisted by the enemy. A gift from God twisted by the enemy. And so, essentially, what's going on here <coughs> is that these folks are complaining about something that used to be a prayer request. They cried out to God, God, save us. Make us free. And he does. And then they say, God, give us food. And he does. And over a short period of time, now their prayer request has become a complaint. And so, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because we might be the most discontent generation in the history of generations. I mean, are we not just spoiled? It's just true. And I'm not talking about just everybody under a certain age. I'm talking about everybody that breathes oxygen now. That, that we might, we have more than anybody else has ever had, and yet we want more than anybody else has ever wanted. And, and most people are really discontent. And, he, and here's the thing, and complain about stuff. And the reality is, um, part of the reason that we feel discontent, can I tell you one of the biggies? It's Instagram, or Facebook, or Twitter. And if some of you are like, well, I don't do social media. Okay, it's that, that glass thing in your house where you can look out and see other people. Because what we do is we tend to compare ourselves to other people. And we always compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about them. And typically, and especially like if you're kind of an Instagram, social media kind of person, which I'm not anti that. Follow me on all that stuff, all right? I look awesome on Instagram, I promise. <clears throat> and the reality is, though, we compare, you compare your B-roll to their highlight reel. It's just true, because I'm telling you, follow me on Instagram. You look at my family on Instagram, we look amazing, amazing. It's just true. I mean, the last couple of weeks, the reason I wasn't here is because my family was at Hilton Head on kind of a fakecation. You don't even know what a fakecation is. It's when preachers go to work at cool places that feel like vacation, and that's what it is. So I was speaking at a youth camp in Hilton Head, and it was oceanfront, and so I took my family, and we stayed in this little condo. And so every evening, I would speak to high school kids, and a bunch of them got saved, and it was awesome. But one of those germ bags gave me a cold, and that's why I'm going to be hacking it up the whole time. But anyway, all day, every day, <clears throat> when I wasn't speaking at the camp, we would go out to the beach. And the reality is, have you ever seen happy parents at the beach? 
No, because on your journey to the beach, you almost get divorced and shake a kid to death. It's just true, all right? You were like, who would shake a kid? But in those moments, you're like, shaking a kid? Is that what we're supposed to do or not? No. Why? Because your kids can't get along, and they don't know how to put on sunscreen without just striping zebra stripes on themselves, and then you get out there, and it's too crowded, and especially when you're married to somebody that loves the beach but hates sand, figure that out for a minute, and she's not here right now, so I can say that. And so all that's going on, and then your kids are playing in the ocean, and you're a little bit afraid because one of them's too brave and wants to swim halfway to Europe, and you're like, riptides, come back. And you're still wondering if the sharks have made it down from North Carolina yet. It's going to eat the little one. You know, all that's going on. And you took out nine shovels in a bucket, but they've got to have the same shovel. So they fight over that, and then they dig a hole, somebody falls in it, right? All of that's going on, and you never feel good at the beach. You just feel sticky and gross the whole time. But when it comes time for the family photo, and you're like, come on, come on, gather around, let's Instagram it. And then you look at it. And you're like, well, I can't use that because my fat rolled over on that one. So we got to, come on, let's come back. We got to get a different angle. My arms are fine, but I got this fat going on here. So, right? Has anybody ever Instagrammed a selfie and went unfiltered post? No, no. And so what begins to happen is you are comparing your real life to a fake family. And, And it's like my Instagram family, it's based on a true story. There are four Martins that all live together, all right? I promise you can come see us. But it's, it's too good there. And so a lot of times we compare ourselves to people and we begin to complain. We begin to complain about our circumstances and we're comparing it to other people's highlight reel. Or another reason we're discontent, some of us actually believe that we just deserve better. We think, you know what, I've worked hard, I've earned this, I deserve better. Really? You really think that? You really think you deserve to be born in this country and have the opportunities that you've been given? You think you deserve those kinds of things? And, and nobody would say that, but, but honestly, they're like, yeah. And then nobody would say this, but this is what's really going on. We actually start believing that if we were God, we would do a better job with our lives. We're frustrated. We're like, God, I'm telling you, have you not been paying attention to my prayer request? I made it easy. I wrote it down for you. If you would just say yes to everything that I am asking you for, then my life would be right. If I had your job, I could do a better job with me than you're doing with me. And all that, <coughs> all that just leads to this. We're just spoiled. I mean, we are just downright spoiled group of people that we cannot imagine a world where we don't get what we want. You don't believe me? If you go to the book of James, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, check this out. You want to talk about comparison? James was the brother of Jesus. So how about that comparison trap? So when, when James' mom said, James, what would Jesus do? He wasn't, she wasn't talking about a bracelet. She was talking about his brother. You understand? Why can't you be more like Jesus? That's what he had to grow up with. And here's what he says. In James 4.1, James asked this question. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? In other words, what are you complaining about? Why are you discontent? Why do you quarrel? Why do you fight? Now, if I were to ask you that question and you were to be honest and I were to give you the microphone, your answer would probably go something like this. Your answer would be like, well, let me tell you, it's because my wife, it's because my boss, it's because my job, it's because of the weather, it's because my kid. It's some sort of outer circumstance that has affected me in a negative way. Therefore, I complain, I argue, I fight, I quarrel. But James answers his own question, which honestly is pretty rare in the Bible. And here's what he says. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. The way the NIV translates it (coughs) is this. It says you want something and you don't get it. Fundamentally, that's why we complain. That's why we argue. 
That's why we're discontent, because we want something, and we don't get it, like a bunch of spoiled kids. And, the, and God gets very, very angry to the point where he lights some brothers on fire here. And here's why I think. Because his people, that God's children, were more interested <clears throat> in the provision of God than in the presence of God. They were more interested in the hand of God than in the face of God. That when they were in, in Egypt, they were far from the presence of God, and then he rescues them, and by his strong and mighty hand, he brings them to a land where they get to dwell in the very presence of God, and they're like, God, that's not enough. This free food that you make for us every day, you know, we really like frosted flakes and not just corn flakes, all right? And they begin to grumble, and they begin to complain. And so... Verse 4, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, just like us. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Why did the fish cost nothing in Egypt? Because they were slaves. They didn't have anything to buy fish with. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength has dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Do you get this? What at one time was a prayer request that God answered has now become a complaint. And let me just warn you, okay? I'm 41, so I'm in the over 40 crowd. Let me tell you how old people like to complain. We like to remember yesterday as if they were the good old days. Look, they weren't any better than today. The ice cream was not sweeter. The rainbows were not brighter. You did not walk to school uphill in both ways. You're a liar, all right? That's just true. Don't believe me? I don't blame you. But look what Ecclesiastes 7.10 says this. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. In other words, if you were going to complain about your circumstances, you're always going to be complaining. And so what the Israelites did, I mean, just imagine this. That they cried out to God in the book of Exodus, God, please save us. And he does, and he delivers them from bondage. And then when they get to the wilderness, They cry out, God, please give us something to eat and something to drink. And he does. And in just a little while, the very things that they were praying about, they're now complaining about. Can you believe, can you believe the audacity of a group of people that would actually complain about something that God had given them due to their prayer requests? You ever do that? You know who does that? The person sitting in your seat. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, I mean, you ever complain about your job? You ever complain about your job? You ever, I mean, tomorrow, you got to go to work, right? You ever complain about it? <laughs> I got to go to work. Do you realize that when we get the prayer cards in, do you know how many of them are just filled with, God, please give me a job? That, that there are so many people in our church that would love, love to have your job. And in fact, I'll bet when you applied for your job, you were begging God, God, please let them pick me. And when he said, okay, I hear your prayer and I answer it, and you, and God gave you the job you had. And then now, just how, six months later, a year later, 10 years later, and now you're complaining about that thing you asked God to give you. Or we can go real serious. <clears throat> you ever complain about your kids? <laughs> I almost feel silly saying it out loud, right? You ever complain about your kids? You ever gripe and whine and moan and grumble about your children? You know how silly that must sound to a couple that's praying to have kids and they can't? Yeah, I know. Feel like a turd? I know. It's better than catching on fire, isn't it? That should be a proverb. It's just true. But it's true, isn't it? 
Remember? Remember? Whether you adopted or, or had a kid, whatever, when you realized that you might be a parent or wanted to be a parent, <clears throat> and you started going before God and begging God for the miracle of life, and then God decides in His infinite sovereign wisdom of all the parents in the entire world that could raise JP and Reagan, I'm going to give them to you. And then, just, I mean, just like a few days when you get home from the hospital and you turn that prayer request into a complaint, or when they grow up a little bit and you're complaining about your kids, honestly, because they're just like you. You're complaining about them. Or we do this. You ever complain about traffic? I'm the worst. I'm the worst, okay? I feel like if somebody's in front of me on the interstate, I, I'm losing and I got to get around them. That's just how I feel, okay? It's how I'm driven. And in fact, I complain no matter what. Like, if the person in front of me is going too slow, I'm like, what's your problem? Why are you going so slow? Move over. And if the person behind me is trying to go too fast, I'm like, what's your problem? You should relax and then just enjoy the ride, okay? So I'm the only right speed on the interstate. That's just true. <clears throat> Do you know the reality is, is that if you're complaining about traffic, if you have the ability to get in your own car and be a part of traffic, you're in the top 5% of wealthiest people in the world. There's 95% of the world that would love to be able to understand what it's like to be in traffic in their own vehicle. Or, you ever complain about your food? I mean, come on, we're notorious for this as Americans. You ever, they bring you, like, you go into a restaurant, and you pick from a menu, and then you, you know, and some of you people, the way you do your orders, is just absolutely, God forbid you order something on the menu, all right? And then they bring it to you, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa no, 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 you're going to have to take this back, okay? It's undercooked, it's overcooked, or I said on the side. I said smashed potatoes, not mashed potatoes. I need some little chunk of skin in there, you understand? Take this back. The customer service here is terrible. Do you realize that people all over the world starve to death? And this is a legitimate American complaint. Ready? Some of us have said this. You will never say it again. You go into a restaurant, and here's the complaint. This menu's too big. There's so many things to choose from. I can't even, huh, is that not crazy? It's a wonder we don't burst into flames anymore, okay? <clears throat> um, I'm not encouraging you to listen to this man, but he's smart and he's funny and he says a lot of bad words. Don't listen to him, but he's hilarious. Louis C.K. talks about, the. he says we're the most spoiled generation ever, says, you know, we've got more gizmos and gadgets and it's wasted on a bunch of people. And one of the things he said that I just love is this. He says, listen, everything is amazing and nobody's happy. Everything is amazing and nobody's happy. Everybody's still complaining. And seriously, everything's amazing, like your phone. How many of us <clears throat> have complained about our phone lately? Like, man, this is my Wi-Fi is slow. My phone is so slow. Give it a second. It's going to space. It's going to space to get a map so you can go wherever you're going to go, and then it's going to talk to you in whatever accent you want. I suggest British, okay? I just do. She sounds smarter. Isn't that the truth? Because, look, I'm 41. If you're my age, then you know. People didn't used to have their phone. There was just the phone. It was in the kitchen. There was just the phone. And, and, and it would hook. You had to stand next to it while you talked to people. And remember when you would dial it on the rotary? Be like, if you had a nine, I wasn't calling you. I was like, I ain't got time to wait for the nine to come all the way back around. I'm out. <clears throat> and there was no privacy. And if you had that really long cord, you could, like, stretch it around the corner. Hopefully your mom couldn't hear, okay, talk now, Right? And then about twice a week, you'd have to hold the cord and, like, unwind it, you know? It's just true. And now everybody's got their own individual phone. I mean, and we complain like crazy. Or <clears throat> here's a legitimate story in America. Ready? People will go on a trip. And they'll come back. and You'll be like, hey, how, how was your trip? And they're like, oh, my gosh. It was the worst day of my life. As if they'd been in war or something. 
Be like, well, what happened? Well, first of all, my plane was delayed 20 minutes. Like, what? Yeah, and then, get this, they put us on the plane, and I was sitting, I didn't have an aisle, and I didn't have the window, I was in the middle, and then they made us stay on the runway for 40 minutes. And we'll empathize with those people, we'll be like, shut your face, no way. For a delay? 40 minutes? Then what did you do? Fly miraculously in the air across the country? That's what you did? You were flying in a recliner. Yeah, but it only goes, it doesn't go back far, it only goes back like, that far. You realize like a hundred years ago, a trip from Atlanta to LA would take 30 months and half the people would die, right? Now you watch an Adam Sandler movie and then you're there. That's it. And yet we can complain about it like crazy. Or here's my favorite. There's some people that complain about church. Church. They complain about church. In fact, some of, not those people out there, some of you will take a prayer card, scratch out prayer and make it a suggestion card. And we get them. And, and, and you never complain about the sermon because what's to complain about? But it's usually about the music. Some of you complain it's too loud. Well, you should read your Bible. Psalm 98.4 says, make a loud noise unto the Lord. All right? And then here's my favorite. Um, I don't like those songs. <laughs> oh, you were confused. Oh, you thought we were singing to you. No, we're not singing to you. We checked with Jesus. He likes them a lot. Okay? A lot. <clears throat> and so here, here's the thing. This is why I kind of wish the catch on fire thing would happen. We'd be in here in worship, and then you say, in the back. But, oh, you were complaining about the song, weren't you? Okay. All right, I get it. Makes sense. <clears throat> so the reason that we complain is because we don't get what we want. And you're, and you're looking for satisfaction in your circumstances. And then there's people like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Now, Paul writes this from prison. Prison. Not vacation. Prison. And he says this, do everything without complaining or arguing. And so, let me just encourage you, Christian. The next time you're ready to complain, see if it falls in the everything category. And if it does, stop. That's what the Bible would say. Because again, the reason that we complain is that we're looking for our satisfaction in our circumstances. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 4.12, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Now, he says that from prison, and he also says, I've learned to have a lot, I've learned to have little, I've learned to be free, I've learned to be in jail, but no matter what, I've learned the secret of not complaining, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, and the secret's out, it's Jesus. And then he gets to 4.13, Philippians 4.13, half of you think Tebow wrote that verse to score touchdowns, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't. Here's what that verse means, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And actually, I've had the pleasure of talking to Tim Tebow about Philippians 4.13, and he fully understands, and the reason that he would wear it on his face is to proclaim to the world that, that his joy was found in Jesus, not in his football record. That whether he takes the Eagles to the Super Bowl or if he doesn't make it through training camp, that, he, that God has given him the strength in Christ to do anything, whatever God lays on his plate, because it's not about his circumstances, but it's about his Savior. And so when we put our hope in the changing circumstances, then we got a lot to complain about. And so the people of God begin to complain, and they're complaining about answered prayer. That's what they're complaining about. And you know why? Here's why. Here's why. They forgot. They forgot. Somehow, somehow. I don't know how it happens, but it happens to us too. Somehow they forgot. If I could step in in this moment, like 
you know, numbers 11 and a half, and in walks Joby. All right, that was part of it. And I could walk in. It's okay, attention, everybody. Hey, listen, listen, listen with the complaining. All right, put Ted out. All right, come here, listen, listen. <clears throat> Did you forget? Did you forget that just a few years ago, you were a slave nation in Egypt, and Pharaoh was whipping you and had you chained, and you cried out to the sovereign God of the universe, and he heard your cry, and he sent Moses, the leader, to let my people go, and God sent ten plagues, and on the tenth plague, don't you remember, <clears throat> don't you remember when you went and you took that, that spotless lamb and you shed its blood and you put it on the doorpost of your house, and then the angel of death came over Egypt and passed over all of your homes, and your firstborn was saved, and then you got out and you made a run for it. And then on your run, you looked over your shoulder, and coming down after you were the armies of Egypt in chariots and on horseback with swords and spears, and you thought, well, good try. I guess we're dead because the impassable Red Sea was right in front of you. And then at just the right time, God began to fight for you. And he reached down by his strong right hand and he parted the Red Sea. And by faith, you walked on dry ground across the Red Sea. And you got to the other side and then God wiped out your enemies. And then when you got to the wilderness, you cried out, God, we're hungry and we're thirsty. And God heard your cry and he gave you food and he gave you water. Did you forget? Because if you're complaining about it, you must have forgot the amazing miracle that is the Exodus. And to the Christian that complains, I would just say to us, me included, did you forget? Did you forget what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross? Do you think God's love for you is wrapped up in your current circumstances? Because the Bible says God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were yet still sinners, that Christ died on the cross. That, that I know you'd like to have a nice car and live in a better neighborhood and have whatever, whatever, okay? I know those circumstances <clears throat> seem so big to you right now, but did you forget that you were dead in your trespasses and have been made alive in Christ? Did you forget that your eternity is different? That one day you'll be with Him forever and ever and there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Did you forget? Let us not forget. Verse 7. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and it appeared like that of delium. And the people went out, and they gathered it, and they ground it in hand mills, and they beat it in mortars, and they boiled it in pots, and they made cakes of it. And the taste, the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. So in other words, God provided for them daily. But again, be careful. Because when you're more interested in the provision of God than the presence of God, then, then God's anger burns. Because... It's not, we don't follow Jesus because he makes our life better. We follow Jesus because he is better than life. And then Moses, verse 10. <clears throat> Moses heard the people weeping through their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, no pun intended. And Moses was displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all of this people? <clears throat> Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Notice they're not his people anymore. Now they're God's people. So if you ever do this as a married couple, be like, hey, did you see what your boy did? It's very biblical, okay? That's how Moses does it. Verse 13. Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I, am, I may not see my wretchedness. 
So what does Moses do? Now, on first glance, it looked at me like um, Moses begins to complain about the complaining people. Then Moses starts complaining to God about the people complaining to him. But if you'll, if you'll read on through, what you'll see here is that God actually hears Moses, and so he's catching the complaining people on fire, but he actually hears Moses and answers what he's talking about. Why? What's the difference here? Does Moses just have special standing before God? I don't think so. Here's what I think. <clears throat> if you go back to 11.1, 1, it says the people complained in the hearing of the Lord. But Moses cried out to God. So there's a difference between complaining and faithlessness and kind of running your mouth to people that can't do anything about it without any expectation that anything's going to change versus taking legitimate burdens and bringing them to God and crying out to God in faith. Do you see the difference here? And I think, <clears throat> I think the fundamental problem is in verse 14. Moses says this, I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but I think, and you'll see it in verse 16 and following, I think God essentially leans back into Moses and says, who told you you were supposed to do this alone? Moses, there's your problem. I never told you to do this alone. You see, nowhere in the book of Numbers, in the book of Exodus, and Leviticus, and any of this, even though God calls Moses to be his point leader, never, ever, ever was he commanded to do this by himself. In fact, wherever Moses was weak, God would surround him with the right kind of team to make up for his weaknesses so he could accomplish everything God had called him to accomplish. The reason a bunch of you are so burdened, honestly, who told you you were supposed to do this alone? You see, God saved us to be in a family, a body. That's why this is a movement for all people. This is a big dysfunctional family called the Church of 1122. Who told you you were supposed to do this alone? And so here's God's answer to him. Verse 16, he says this. And then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you, and I will come down and talk with you there. And I will make some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself. And so if you read to the very end of the chapter, uh, God just provides quail for them. All right? It's like the best quail hunt ever. They just show up, they wake up and come out of their tent, and all these quail just show up dead, and they eat them. <clears throat> but the point that God, I think, is establishing here is, who, who told you you're supposed to do this on your own? You're not. What you're supposed to do is get some of your brothers and bring them to the tent of meeting, and I'm going to take some of the spirit that I put on you, and I'm going to put it on them too. Can I tell you why this is good news as a Christian? Because the tent of meeting, the curtain that separated the presence of God from the people of God, when Jesus said, it is finished, an earthquake cracks through Jerusalem and it tears that tent, I mean that, that curtain from the top to the bottom, and you and I, by the blood of Jesus, have access to the Spirit of God. So just because I'm on staff and I'm the, the point leader of our church, it's not like I've got the Spirit of God and I just divvy it out to people in my office, but every single one of us that have surrendered our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we all have the Spirit of God. That's what the Bible means when it says that your body is a temple. That means that God's new permanent address on earth is in you if you are in Christ. And here's what that means, folks. That you need some brothers and sisters around you because you were not intended to bear these burdens along. Can I just tell you, it's why we have a Connect Center. Can I tell you one of the frustrations I have as a lead pastor here? There really are very few, but one of them is this. It's that some of you choose week after week after week to not be connected, not be connected, not be connected. 
You treat 1122 like it's an event you attend instead of something to belong to. And if you're just checking it out, that's fine. Take as long as you need to check it out. But what we see is people choose to not be connected, and then something happens in their life where they have a need, and then they complain, hey, I'm not connected. Get connected. It's called the Connect Center. We did that for slow people like me that could just figure out, where do you get connected? There's the center of the connection place right back there, okay? And it's so, because here's what you need. You need Christian friends before you need Christian friends, right? You're establishing that before it becomes this huge burden. And you think, gosh, I can't handle this on my own. God never says, never steps into Moses and says, you know what, man, just try harder and be a better leader and you got this, dog. No, you ain't got this, dog. That you are supposed to bear one another's burdens. That's what Galatians 6, 2 says. And thus fulfill the law of Christ. <clears throat> so here, you know, so he goes on to say this. Um, well, here's the point. Here's the point. Complaining is rooted in putting our hope in ever-changing circumstances. Contentment is found in putting your hope in the never-changing Christ. That, that complaining is always rooted in, in when we put our hope when we look for satisfaction in our ever-changing circumstances, because there's always going to be something to complain about, because there's always going to be something that you don't want, or that you want but you're not getting. The true contentment is found when we put our hope in the never-changing Jesus. Now, there are some things that we should just stop complaining about. There are. There's some things that you whine about, and you complain about, and you moan about, and, and you should just stop, okay? You should just shut up. Like, if your menu's too big, just shut up. If your food didn't come out the right way, just shut up. If your iPhone charger won't reach from the wall to your bedside table, just shut up. God bless your life. You know how good your life is. Those are first world problems. The Spirit would say, shut up, okay? Enjoy your life. But then, there are some legitimate burdens. I mean like some legit stuff. Some family stuff. Some health stuff. There's some stuff that, that, that needs to be spoken of. I mean like this burden, <coughs> this burden that Moses has here. God never comes in and says, shut up, Moses. Quit crying about that. No, no, no. He says, here, here's the thing. You should bear one another's burdens. So I think, I think there's three basic ways to deal with burdens in our life. Because here's the truth, is that Jesus never promises a pain-free life. Never. In fact, he promises a painful life. He says that, that don't be surprised when you face troubles of many kinds. So when you face these troubles, what are you supposed to do about it? Well, I think there's three options that we have. One is you can complain about it. You can complain about it. And, and when we do that, here's the problem. is when we complain, there's, there's a lot of problems. One is that we treat the complaint like it's the biggest thing in our life. We typically take it to people not to help us, but so they'll empathize with us and make us feel sorry for ourselves, right? Because that's what we want. And when we do it, we make that complaint bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we treat God as if he's smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, like he can't do anything about it. And I'm telling you, his, his presence is more important than his provision. And so what some of us do, though, in an effort to not complain, like, I don't want to complain about this, I don't want to burden anybody else, I don't want to bother anybody, <clears throat> so we'll overcorrect and we'll conceal it. And we'll say, no, 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 it's not, a, you know, it's fine, it's fine, I'll conceal it. You, you don't let people in, you don't know, they don't know what's going on in your life, and it leads to a life of isolation. And let me just promise you this, the fake you's doing just fine. If you want to fake it, well, carry on, okay, you look great. The problem is, with that is, is that nothing, nothing good grows in the dark. Only gross thing grows in the dark. You've never turned over a log and thought, ooh, I'll eat that. No, 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 no. When you begin to shine light into your burdens, that's when things begin to change. That's why here at the Church of 1122, it's okay to not be okay. 
We get it. You've got issues. Me too. You know how I know? The cross of Jesus Christ. Do you not realize that when you conceal all of your burdens, what you're denying is the gospel? Because you're saying, I got this. The cross says, you don't got this. You don't need a life coach. You need a savior. It's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. And some of you lie more here than anywhere else. You walked in this morning or this afternoon and somebody said to you, hey, how you doing? You're like, God is good. I know he's good. I didn't ask how he's doing. How are you doing? And some of you feel like you got to have on this mask and you got to fake it. Oh, I'm just blessed to be in the house of the Lord. What are you talking about? Who talks like that? You understand? Now, I'm not saying you got to post all of your problems on Facebook. In fact, most of you probably need to rein that in just a little bit, you know? <clears throat> but there needs to be somebody that you can be real with. So when we have burdens, we're not to complain and we're not to conceal. We're supposed to confess it. We're supposed to confess it, first of all, to God. We cry out to God, Lord, I need your help. He knows. And then we're also to confess it to one another. Again, Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. How in the world can we bear one another's burdens if we don't know one another's burdens? That's just true. And so <clears throat> we'll go back to the book of James because he deals specifically with this. What do you do when you don't have, I'm not talking about illegitimate complaints that you just need to shut up about. You know what those are. But what do you do when you've got legitimate burdens in your life? And so James writes in chapter 5, verse 13, he says this. And he's talking to the church, by the way. His church. And he says, is anyone among you suffering? And here's what's true. Some of you are suffering. And most of the time, suffering is something that happened from the outside in. Something that happened to you. That somebody has done something to you or some circumstances have come against you. And if you're honest, you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm suffering. I mean, I'm struggling. Whatever word you would use, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he says, so here's what you do. Let him pray. Don't complain about it. Don't conceal it. But cry out to God. Take this thing to the one that can, actually can do something about your suffering. <clears throat> and then he says, I'm glad he threw this in here. Is anyone cheerful? Because everybody's not supposed to be bummed all the time, right? Some of you woke up today and you weren't like, good God, it's morning. You were like, good morning, God, and you feel great. Well, God bless you. I'm glad you do. I'm having a great day, all right? So is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So at the end of our service, when we sing, you should sing your head off, okay? Because you, you're just walking in the blessing of God right now. Then his next question is when it gets real. He says, is anyone among you sick? Here's what I know. There's some of you that are sick. I mean, some of you are literally physically sick. Like you went to the doctor, you got the test back, and, and you got it. I mean, they gave you scary words, cancer, and you're sick. And that's not something to complain about. It's not something to conceal. It's a legitimate burden. Some of you are physically sick. You live in pain all the time. But it doesn't just limit it to, to physical sickness. Some of you have a sick heart. Some of you have a sick heart. And you feel like you just can't get it right. And, and the Bible says, um, I think it's Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes a heart sick. In other words, some of you had your life all planned out in your mind, right? And then when you look at your current circumstances, it doesn't look like your plan whatsoever. And you feel hopeless. And hope deferred makes a heart sick. And honestly, I think I'd rather have a sick body than a sick heart. And no matter what you've tried to do to mend your heart, this world just has no medicine for it. And if you're honest... If you're willing to confess it, you're like, man, i got a sick heart. 
Some of you have a sick soul. The reason have you, six, you have a sick soul is because your whole life you've said, God, I got this, and you don't got this. And your sin has separated you from God. Some of you, have, some of you are sick emotionally and sick relationally. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's some person in your life, and they used to be your very best friend. They maybe even be a family member. And, and a decade ago, I mean, y'all were tight. Y'all were inseparable. But today, today you're so busted up. You can't even be in the same room together. When you hear their name, there's something in you that just, when you hear bad news about them, there's something in you that gets excited, and then you feel guilty for that. Because emotionally, you're sick. Some of you have sick marriages. Sick marriages. And again, you walked in here today, I mean, you fought like crazy in the car on the way to church, and then you got here and you've been faking it the whole way because people don't really know. They don't know what he did. They don't, don't know what she said. And you got a sick marriage. So James says, <clears throat> is, is anyone among you sick? Now, you can lie about it if you want to. But again, the fake you is doing just fine. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So the way we're going <clears> to <throat> end our service is we're going to have a healing service. A healing service. And we got oil right here, okay? And I got this oil. A guy brought it from Jerusalem, and his last name is Israel. So you know it's got to be special, right? It's got to be good. Let me just tell you, this is oil, okay? It's just oil. It just happens to be from over there. And it's not magical. This isn't a potion, um, oil, when you would anoint people with oil in the Bible, it represented the anointing of God. And Jesus, Jesus Christ, that word Christ means the anointed one. And any person that surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ has been anointed or given the Spirit of God. And so we're going to do what the Bible says. And if anybody here is sick, we're gonna, we've got some elders here and we've got some staff folks and some others. We're going to invite you to come and to confess what's going on in your life. We're going to anoint with oil and pray for healing. And again, listen, if you think, ah, man, that's weird. Dude, I get it. I grew up Southern Baptist, okay? The only thing we anointed was we'd anoint our biscuits with gravy. That's all we anointed. We never anointed stuff. But the reality is, man, I'm a Bible guy, and this is what it says. You know what? It goes on to say this. It goes on to say that the prayers, <clears throat> that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, that doesn't mean that I have great power because I'm the preacher. It says that a righteous person, when they pray, it's powerful. And you know who's righteous? The Bible says that God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made his righteousness. That every single person that surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ is righteous before God. And then I'm so glad he put this in here so that you wouldn't think that any of us have special powers. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. See, Elijah was this guy in the Old Testament, kind of a superhero of the Old Testament. And he prayed. the Bible says he prayed, and he made it stop raining for three and a half years. And, then, and he did all kind of other stuff, too, all kind of stuff. He called down fire from heaven one time to defeat all these prophets of Baal. I mean, this was like a miracle-working guy. And then the Bible says he prayed again and it made it rain again. And you think, wow, he must be incredible. 
And then that's why it says that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. That's the Bible way of saying he's just a dude. Just a regular dude. And it's not the fact that, that he prayed that made the difference. It was who he was praying to. That's where the power is. That's what the oil represents. It represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do what the Bible says. Is there anybody in here sick? Physically sick? Emotionally sick? Is your marriage sick? Are you financially sick? Some of you, that's you. Your finances are just jacked. And you haven't even told anybody yet because you're so afraid of what might happen in the next six months. The Bible says don't complain. Don't conceal. But confess. Confess in faith. And that by His stripes we are healed. There's a difference between curing and healing. Every single one of us that are in Christ are promised healing in Him. Sometimes, by God's mighty hand, He cures now. But we, at 11.22, by faith, we're going to go before God. We're going to confess our sins. We're going to confess our burdens. We're going to share with one another so that we can bear one another's burdens. We're going to pray in faith. We're going to anoint. That doesn't mean we're going to dump it on your head. Whoever's praying for you is going to take a little bit of oil, and they're going to put a cross on your forehead because it's by His stripes that you are healed. And in faith, we're going to pray for healing because that's what the Word tells us to do. So as I pray, if you are one of our prayer warriors, if you would come down front, and if everybody else would please stand with us and, and let us pray. <clears throat> our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I know that when you inspired James to write that question that would be read in churches for a couple thousand years, is anyone among you sick? God, you knew the answer every single time. <clears throat> and the answer is yes. God, there's some folks in this room right now, and they've got sick hearts because their hope has been deferred. God, they've got sick marriages. They've got sick bodies. They've got sick finances. They've got sick emotions. And God, we believe that you can heal. We believe that you still do miracles. We believe that if Jesus was resurrected from the grave, then you can resurrect a relationship, that you can resurrect a marriage, that you can resurrect a body. So God, we just claim that the prayer of a righteous person, anybody made right with Christ, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful because you are powerful. So God, I pray that you would move in a mighty, mighty way. God, we claim that you and you alone are our healer and that anything is possible for those who believe. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for healing, would you please come forward? <clears throat>